into the prayer right now. Heavenly Father, it is indeed what such a privilege for us to come into your presence. A privilege unknown for millennia and purchased through the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you for a father heart that is moved by our petitions, one that has a multitude of uncountable thoughts towards each one of us. And Lord, we're thankful that we this morning can sit at your feet to learn from your living word. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be unhindered and unfettered in not only the one who speaks, but even in each one of our hearts as we would listen and take to heart and allow your spirit to change us. Father, we pray that our faith could grow, that our surrender could grow, that we would put aside the distractions of this present world that compete for our time, attention, our thoughts, and our service and loyalty so that your spirit could be free. Father, we want to pray specifically this morning for Brother Peter Vronkovich. We're so thankful that you have been gracious, that things have progressed dramatically far beyond human expectations, and we recognize your hand at work in the grace that Peter has already experienced with the shrinking tumor and the blood clots from his lungs disappearing. Father, we pray that you would continue to work and that the blood clot in his heart would uh, disappear in the vein of leading to it and also the, um, the tumor could shrink completely if it be your will that you could dramatically show your power or whether you would work through the doctor's hands. We want you to be glorified in this young brother's life and show that you are a God who answers prayer. Father, we are so thankful that we have such a loving Father. We know there are many other needs even in our own midst of those who are suffering, uh, many who are not even able to come today. We pray that you would minister to them and also be their great physician. And Lord, you also know the needs of those who need spiritual healing and encouragement and strengthening. Father, we pray for your work in our hearts, whether present or absent, for you are not limited. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Let's turn together from uh, the book of Acts. And let's begin in... We'll reading a few verses from chapter 1 and then from chap- continuing chapter 2. beginning from the first verse in chapter 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power 
After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary the mother of Jesus and all and with his brethren. Let's continue reading from chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto me words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, which would be about nine o'clock, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall see dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord came. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's uh, move forward after this uh, convicting sermon which was preached until uh, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship 
and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I pray to the, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. I was not here the last couple of weeks, like I mentioned, but it's clear that the Lord has something to say to us about the Holy Spirit. What I've been wrestling about is that is 2020. Maybe it's time we can think about what would be a vision for the church in 2020. I read the, uh, the sermon which Peter had where he exhorted them with many other words to save themselves from this untoward generation. It could have been written today in 2020, couldn't it? An untoward generation, a generation that is facing away from God, not toward him, I would say is pretty defining of the direction that we see our culture taking. But the question is, what about us? We don't have to be swept along with the culture. We see Christianity struggling on this continent. As we heard in the prayer, there are many other places where people are with great sincerity and and conviction and commitment uh, placing their lives on the line for Christ and faith is growing in leaps and bounds in the Middle East, in Asia, even in Africa. But here we are struggling. Not just this local church here in Toronto, but I would say across the entire continent. And what is our vision? And is it up to us to have a vision? We certainly can see the vision that is given here in the Word of God for what a church could and should be. We see how after this uh, birth of the church in the day of Pentecost, there was a focus. We see they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. There was a focus on the word. It wasn't just someone's opinion, someone's new philosophy, something exciting uh, that uh, you know was going to be discussed. But this was based on the word of God. It was sound. It was there was warmth. There was fellowship. There was breaking of bread, and they went from house to house, and they loved each other so much they were willing to hold all things common and sell their possessions and give to whoever had need. And there was a unity even in the temple, the house of God, and as they went from house to house, and there was a gladness and singleness of heart that the, um, the, the body had. It was, there was a warmth. There was worship. They were praising God. They were praying in house to house. There was a focus that was alive and that actually drew and had favor with all the people that they could say, this is something that is alive, that has power, that I want to be a part of. And if there's something that this current generation is looking for, it is community and warmth as everyone is isolated and suspicious and hiding behind their own agendas. And there were works, as we saw, that they met the needs of those who were poor, even sacrificially. The Lord added daily 
to the church, such as should be saved. That's a wonderful vision. Vision. And something that uh, I'm sure each one of you would love to have be our reality today. And I think we all uh, can be honest enough to recognize there are gaps between what we have today in our church and this vision that's being given to us in the scripture. What did Jesus say? is necessary to have that kind of life and power and vitality and warmth characterize this body. Jesus was with them for 40 days and then he left. And for some that's puzzling We have the very Son of God, risen, glorified, testament to the power of God and what he has done for us, and he leaves. But he told his disciples, it's good that I'm leaving because I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you one who will lead you into all truth, who will teach you everything, Thing that I bring to your remembrance, all the things that I've taught you. Scripture says that, you know, we have no need that one teaches us because we have that unction, that, that uh, anointing of the Spirit. And Jesus' words here is, don't be focused on some sort of end-time scenario, some sort of eschatology, and, and how this is all going to work Together, they were lo- really looking for, you know, a, a, a emancipation of the Jewish state. And he says, you're, 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 you're missing God's plan here by being focused on this little picture. In verse 8, I've always loved this verse, but ye shall receive power. Ye shall receive power. We all like this vision of this beautiful, unified, powerful, loving, sacrificial church, but we find ourselves unable to follow through, to be a part of that vision, a contributing part as, as 1 Corinthians 12 gives us that vision of that body. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So in Jesus' words, I am leaving, but I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. And, And I don't want you to go out and accomplish the mission. I've got a mission for you. I want you to be witnesses. This is... Your goal to let the world know that what I've done on the cross applies to them, that there is salvation, there is freedom, there is forgiveness, that their biggest needs are now being met. And you've got that truth. They knew it in their heads. It had been explained to them by Jesus himself, and he didn't send them. Wait, he said. Wait until you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then you can be witnesses starting in your backyard and going out unto the entire world. There's plenty of examples of us humans trying to do things on our own power, on our own talent, on our own ability. I remember you know, meeting with a group of, of uh, within our church, you know, and they were saying, oh, you know, we've, we've, got, we've got a great future. Look, we got this brother's got a degree in this, and this brother's got a doctorate in that, and this brother's got this talent here, you know, we are, we're going to go someplace 
as a church. And I just felt within that, you know, this is, this is looking at men and what men can do and what men's credentials are. And certainly, you know, God can and has gifted the church with qualified men and women to accomplish his purpose. But what about the surprising work of the Holy Spirit? They were, they were the ones who sat at Jesus' feet, far more qualified than I, that heard Jesus' words, many of which are not even recorded. They had all the revelation. They had the truth, but they needed to wait. Do we sometimes think that we have the answers? If we would just implement this plan. I heard it worked over here. Or I have this great idea. Um, it worked in the past. Um, maybe if we, if we would just follow my ideas, this, this, this would change everything. But are we really waiting on the Lord? It had been 40 days that Jesus had been with them. And the next we hear was the day of Pentecost. There were nine days which they spent in that upper room with one accord, all of them, men and women together, fasting, praying and seeking God and supplication. They were continued with one accord in prayer and supplication in that upper room <clears throat> until God sent that empowering presence, his own presence. God with us as we've been hearing uh, the, the Christmas story and it's so much more than a manger and shepherds and even wise men, but God with us is fulfilled not just in Jesus who entered time and space and lived a human life and showed us by his example and, and, and all the way to the cross, but God with us, Emmanuel, is now the Holy Spirit, God's personal person, the third person of the Godhead himself in us. It's not about our human wisdom. It's about our complete dependence upon God and allowing him to work through us. And they were expressing that by waiting, by being united. We're not going to move forward until God himself works through us. You remember... It was always a bit strange how, how Saul, you know, is, 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 his, his army's disappearing. They're all hiding in rocks and caves, and he's got this big army in front of him, and he doesn't wait for the priest to show up. He, you know, he rushes him by a couple hours. He's still in the middle of the sacrifice when, when Samuel shows up and says, what you've done, and, and he loses his kingdom. Like, he, he was trying to do the right thing. He just, you know, wasn't quite following God's way of doing it. And he, he felt he had to take things into his own hands. We lose God's power when we try to do things in our own power. We experience God's power when we rely completely and only on his power. And it was dramatic. Those flames hovering over their heads. Hovering seems to be you know, the Spirit, very second verse of the Bible. The earth's without form and void. It's shapeless, purposeless, lifeless, chaos. And the Spirit hovers 
The Greek word is, uh, the Hebrew word is brood. It's got the sense not only of hovering like that bird, but, but trying to create life and incubate life. Jesus is baptized in that spirit like a dove, hovers and floats down, and he hears the Father's voice saying, this is my beloved Son, hear ye him. Those waters the Spirit is hovering over. The time spent. Why? The Spirit has the power to regenerate the heart. This past Wednesday, Brother Brian had an excellent Bible study talking about how you know, the, the, there was a question that was raised, you know, should or could or is it wrong for Christians to change people? And it was clear that Christians are not in the business of changing people. There is only that the, he, he said that we, we can maybe change people's mind if they're open, but we cannot change people's hearts. And it's the spirit that does that. And it's up to us to be yielded to do that. I appreciate the brother who brought up that, that verb when we talk about enabling change is really yielded. And Romans 6 talks about that same thing. You've got those watery grave and you have the enabling spirit of God allowing you to enter, to die, to be buried, and to raise to new life through the spirit. In Romans 8, you know, 7 talks about the alternative, doing things on your own power, and how frustrating and wretched, and, and, and I've experienced that, and I still do experience that when I try to do things on my own power, and I feel the wretchedness of my own inability to be holy, to be right, to do the right things. And Romans 8 says, but there is no condemnation who walk, those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit that everyone who is led by the Spirit of God is the Son of God, that has that whispering in their heart that you are the child of God. You are adopted, as we heard Brother Phil speak so eloquently last Sunday. And that life-giving Spirit works in the heart that's yielded. My dear friend, I invite you to spend the time in the upper room. My dear brother and sister, when you feel wretched man that I am and powerless, I invite you to spend that time in the upper room. Inviting the Holy Spirit, not just as a sprinkling, not just as a um, <clears throat> token, as a symbol but that the God's presence would fill us. <clears throat> the filling of the Holy Spirit. Spoken of, <clears throat> actually, throughout the Bible, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, surprising things happen. Unconventional things happen. You know, maybe there's a little shifting in the seats when we read that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit is creative. That's why it's hovering over the water. And it creates order out of chaos. He's not a God of disorder, but he is a creative God. That was the challenge in Corinth, where they really focused on gifts, because the Spirit does have power and does enable us to do things that we could never do otherwise. I've experienced that. I am experiencing that right now. 
Many times I come here empty, not knowing what to say. Maybe I can string a few words together, but I couldn't tell you five minutes before and sometimes not five minutes after, especially as I advance in years, what I'm going to say, but the Spirit provides words in the moment. It's not my invention. And the Spirit will enable you in different ways. The first we read is Bezalel in the Old Testament being filled with the Spirit to be a craftsman, to make the greatest you know, Ark of the Covenant and temple and sanctuary in order to glorify God through his hands and through the gift that God placed in him to be creative. God may make you creative. We read in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, be not um, drunk with wine, be filled with uh, alcoholic spirits, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We see that worship is something that is to be alive and spirit-directed, not rote, mechanical, and dead. And there is creativity because the spirit is creative. In that, There's other things in alcohol that can keep us so distracted. Brother was sharing in the minister meeting about even electronics, about things like movies and video games and the things that we, we have in our, in, in our faces that, that keep our, us intoxicated, distracted, and unable to hear the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to work in us to use our human potential, but to be infused, enthused, enthusiasm being the spirit in you that there is a life and a power and a creativity that you are now what God has always designed you to be, complete and effective in making a difference and impact for his kingdom. The Corinthians, like I said, were very, a little bit, there was a lot of comparison there. You know, there's, you know, who are you following? Who's got more gifts? Who's better? And there was a little bit of one-upmanship going on there in services, which is not the Spirit of God. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I want everyone to come willing to share what the Spirit has given them, but do it in an orderly fashion because God is not the author of confusion, but of order. We don't use creativity as an excuse for, you know, pride and, 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 and trying to uh, place ourselves above anyone else because even as Corinthians said, what do you have that God didn't give you? You've got no reason to boast or, or compare. It's, it's unwise, it's unedifying, and it's invalid. You've got nothing to boast of. But if you allow God to use you, that's not something to put under a bushel, not something to hide either, that you are the light of the world. Uh, don't put it under the bushel, you're a city on a hill. You're not to silence and squash the spirit. That also grieves the Spirit. If the Spirit has given you something and laid it on your heart to do something for the kingdom, we need to allow that creativity and allow you to edify the body. Otherwise, the body is suffering. And we need to make sure that our culture doesn't squash anyone who might be a little different and maybe supporting things a little differently. It needs to be done in orderly. It needs to be done uh, in, in, a, in a godly way. But we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do its surprising work in you and in our midst because the Spirit gets us to do things that are, that are unconventional. As Peter is preaching here, he's, people are, are, are mocking 
They're saying, these people are drunk. Because there's this enthusiasm and exuberance and, and uh, words pouring forth in all these different languages. Peter has to be, if he wants to be filled with the Spirit, he needs to let the Spirit out and work through him. When you do not allow the Spirit to work in you because you are afraid of the risks, the social risks, the financial risks, the, there were financial risks here as, as, as they gave sacrificially. If you are so risk-focused that you do not allow the Spirit out, you will not be filled with the Spirit. You see, it's not like you know, a, a bottle that you, you seal and it's full now and you keep it statically. It's much more like a pipe or that, that, that is filled when it is flowed unhindered. There's no restriction and it's at full capacity going through you because it's not about you. That was the problem with the Corinthians. They try to take the Holy Spirit of God and make it about them. And Paul is saying, no, it's about edifying the church. It's about being witnesses in Jerusalem to the ends of the world. It's about letting God work through you unhindered. And that requires me not only dying to myself, meaning giving up my, my sinful um, habits and, and, and the, the things that distract and, and the things that are are are. are, are sinful in my life and dying to that, it requires me dying to my pride. Because let's face it, it's our pride. It's our pride that keeps us from allowing the Spirit to use us to edify and to be witnesses to this world without hindrance. It's our pride. And what does God say about pride? He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you have to die not only to your sin and distraction, you need to die to your pride. You need to depend on God and you need to obey Him. When he tells you to go, you need to go. When he tells you not to go, you need not to go. When he told Paul, no, don't go into Bithynia. Don't go into Phrygia. And like, what am I doing? I thought this was the plan. This doesn't make sense. And then he gets the call to Thessalonica in a dream. And he crosses the ocean. And, and so he is led. You need to be willing to obey, to stop and to go. if you want to be filled with the Spirit. And we have such beautiful examples of those who are filled with the Spirit. The next two chapters, chapter 4, as Peter is filled with the Spirit, and again he preaches and 3,000 are converted. At the end of the chapter, as they are imprisoned <clears throat> and as they are um, let out after being, after being threatened um, and they're rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer, and they come together with the, the body, which is, is united. The, the spirit has this supernatural unity where all these divisions about ethnicity and gender and all this garbage that's human classification becomes wiped away and we become one in Christ. Did you read that at the after, ends of chapter two? Unity, unity, together, one accord, house to house, they were all one, and now they come together in one. They are, some have suffered for his name. It's like, oh, please protect, prevent, keep. No, it's let's be bold. There is a confidence because it's not about you and what you can do and protect and control. It's about God who is not in control. He, he, he is in control, and we are not in control. And, and we don't need to pretend to protect and control and try all this human manipulation. 
We need to be bold because God is able to confront whatever. And it might mean suffering, but that's okay. They rejoiced to be counted worthy, and they prayed, and they said, Lord, behold their threatenings that grant of thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. I'm reading from verse 29, chapter 4. Stretch forth thy hands to be healed, and signs and wonders may be done through the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. The power of the Holy Ghost shakes it physically, but not just physically, spiritually as well. Why? Because they were opening, they were dying to their sense of self-preservation, not just pride and, 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 and being mocked, but, you know, what's going to happen to me and mine and my stuff? They were letting that all go and said, let's be bold and, and, and let's serve the purpose of God in proclaiming his word like he asked us to. And God, we need your help. We're willing. And when they did that, there was so much power, it shook the very ground. And they were all, all filled with the Holy Ghost. The first time, it was spending those nine days in prayer in the upper room in one accord. Now, it's just really opening myself and allowing God to work without hindrance, giving up all self-concern and self-control to allow Him to work and praying for His will above mine. And His power shows up. And we see the same. We see Stephen willing to serve, full of the Holy Ghost and power. And how does that manifest the next, when he's in front of that, that uh, Sanhedrin and his life is at stake, does he hold back? Does he become diplomatic and, and careful with his words and couch the truth? Does he pull any punches? He tells them the truth they need to hear and it works, it cuts them to the heart. He becomes the first martyr. But he's full of the Holy Spirit as he looks into the very heavens and sees it open and sees his consolation. And there is Jesus at the right hand of God, and that's where I'm going. He is victory, not defeat for him, as the stones flew and he fell. And so on. We see Paul raging He's there at Stephen. He's holding the, the, the coats. He's probably one of the prime instigators, and he does great damage to the church, and then God strikes him down on the way to, uh, to Damascus, and three days he's doing what? He's praying. The Spirit said, God said to Ananias, go to the house in the, uh, for Paul is there, and he's praying, the house of Judas, for behold, he prayeth. And, and Ananias says that Brother Paul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Again, it's that time of recognition, of repentance, of saying, I'm persecuting the church, but I am wrong. I've come face to face with the truth instead of doubling down like a trump and saying I'm going to do it anyways. I humble myself and I repent and I recognize my error and I'm willing to do and go and be and say whatever God wants me to do and go and be and say. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit and we see Paul's life, the rest of the book here as someone who is filled with the Spirit, who speaks, who God uses and inspires, you know, even for miracles, healing, resurrection, all empowered by the Holy Spirit. My dear brothers and sisters, I'm sure your heart burns as mine does. As you read this book of Acts, which might be better named Acts of the Holy Spirit, as it begins and ends and is filled with the power of the Spirit through 
puny human beings like you and I, men and women with frailties who made mistakes just like you and I do, but because the Holy Spirit filled with them, this tiny sect persecuted by all, no allies, a handful of people with no power, overturned the entire world, the most powerful empire. By the Spirit. And we can huddle here in this church and say, oh, we are so few. Look how few fill the benches. We are so weak. Who's going to do anything? Who's going to continue to carry that torch forward? Where is the power going to come from? What's our future? We can cry, woe is me. When the very power of the Holy Spirit is available in each one of us. And he has chosen his Apostle Paul's. And he is able to overturn not only just this church. His vision is bigger than that. His vision is to be a light in this city, in this country, in this world. If we but let him. If we but let him. He is able to bring unity. He is able to bring repentance. If we but let him. We need to die to our pride, to our self-sufficiency, our self-control, to our own self-agendas. And we can, we'll see God do things we could never imagine. The apostles never imagined. They thought, yeah, let's get an army and we can get, kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. The whole Roman Empire fell. Overcome by the cross. The world. God's power is not limited. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His power is available to us today. The question only remains about me. Am I willing to be filled with a spirit? Am I willing to let that unconventional, uncontrolled power do through me things that may bring me discomfort and loss and humiliation but God's glory my dear friend you may feel like I've tried I've tried this Christian thing and it just doesn't work for me try to be good I can't I've tried and so I think it's just a story. It's not just a story. These are verifiable historical accounts with the, probably the most geographical and re historical references in this book. This is history. This is not mythology. And this power is available to you. The conditions are clear. We need to give up our control, ourself, and die to ourself so that that spirit can hover and can create in us a new heart, a clean heart, a changed heart, a heart that is able. I understand your frustration and despair and discouragement because I was there. I tried with all my heart. I know the feeling of self-loathing and discouragement. Wretched man that I am, who can save me from the body of this death? Being so true to my feelings. The next verse. Go to the next verse. There is no condemnation to those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Be led by him. Become his child. Hear his voice saying, you are my child, my precious daughter, my precious son. No more spirit of bondage, of fear, but the spirit of adoption. I invite you. The spirit invites you. These words are true. May the Lord bless his word.
We've heard a great deal this morning about the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit of God. I had an interesting conversation yesterday. I was in a hardwood flooring supplier, and there was an older man there that had a European accent, and I'm always kind of curious to hear where people are from. So I asked him what his background was, and he told me, and then he wanted to know mine, and so I explained where my family had come from, and then I said, you know, I know a lot of people from the Slavic countries, our church, we have many churches there, we kind of began and spread there, and then we began talking. He says, oh yes, I know uh, something of that area. He says, I'm a, I'm a Baptist, and I grew up in, in, I think it was in the Ukraine, near Russia. And he said, every Sunday, when we would gather together, we didn't know if the church would be shut or what would happen. So every brother prepared a sermon for the Sunday because you never knew if it was going to be your turn to preach because the other brothers had been hauled off to prison. Think about that. Brothers, if every Sunday you had to be ready for one of two things, the prison or the pulpit. So why did God send fire on those early believers? Why not the symbol of a dove like he used for his son? Why fire? Because like Elijah, we're to bring the offering, but he provides the fire. Our position is to bring it all and lay it before him. Maybe even cover it with water in ways that doesn't make sense. So that it would be none of us. And all of him. Let's pray that the Lord would send fire on each one of us. This concludes our service. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. Amen.